Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn with us to 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 1 through verse 3. 2 Kings chapter 23, verses 1 through verse 3. Well, you're going to be proud of me this morning. I really worked hard on my title. You know, back when I first was called to preach and I did some seminary extension classes and stuff like that, I'll never forget one time a teacher was saying, you got to really have a catchy title. You want a catchy title, you know, and they, this points and that or whatever, but this catchy title. And so I've got one this morning. You ready for it? King Josiah. I told you, it's pretty creative, isn't it? Pretty impressive, I know. So anyway, let's look at today's passage. We're going to look at King Josiah. And um, I just couldn't come up with anything else. I apologize. I mean, y'all got to help me build a title for it. But anyway, uh, King Josiah, this morning as we read about him, I believe there are really five principles that you and I can look at today that will truly impact our lives. So 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 1 through verse 3, the scripture says this, Then the king sent, and they gathered to him all the elders of Judah and of Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord, and all the men of Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him, and the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to carry out the words of this covenant and that covenant that were written in this book and all the people entered into the covenant also. Father God, we come to you. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for just being able to come together in your house and worship you and sing praises to you. And Lord God, sing about the old rugged cross and today reflect on the power of the old rugged cross. And prayerfully, each one of us today can reflect on the redeeming power that we've experienced personally from that old rugged cross that Christ Jesus gave his life on for our sins, Lord. God, I ask once again today that you'd cleanse me, Lord, if there's anything in my life that would hinder me from being able to speak and preach your word today, that it would be gone. I pray everything that goes forth out of my mouth would be straight from you, Lord Jesus. And God, once again, we, Lord God, though he needs no invitation, we ask the Holy Spirit of God to come and, and dwell among us continually and through the service. And God, we demand any other spirit be gone, Lord, pleading the blood of Christ over this place. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning as we look at King Josiah, I want to look first of all this morning when I look at King Josiah and I read about his beginning and his reign and how God used him, there's several things that are important for us. And number one this morning, first of all, I want you to see this, that King Josiah, he refused to let age be a barrier in his service to the Lord. He refused to let age be a barrier. Uh, something that blows my mind, if you go to 2 Kings chapter 22 verse 1, the Bible tells us this, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Wow, amen? But there's a lesson here for us, isn't it? There's a lesson for us because I'm telling you, every last one of us in here this morning, we often are attacked by this thought that we can't be used by the Lord because of our age. Often he'll tell you you're too old or maybe he'll tell you you're just too young, right? These are those areas that Satan tries to use to keep us from serving the Lord. And I want to start off, first of all, for those that he's lying to you and trying to tell you that you're too old. He'll try to tell you that you're too old, that you, you can't be used by him, and uh, you're just kind of outdated or whatever the lie might be that he might tell you. 
or maybe you're one of the ones that you've been used by God in a powerful age uh, or a powerful way at your age, but you're thinking, well, you know, I've done my part, I've done my duty, if you will, and I can kind of clock out and let the younger ones do it. Well, I'm telling you today, if you consider yourself, and I pray you don't, amen, we are young at heart, right? But if you consider yourself to be a senior adult or approaching that age, whatever that age is, it changes, amen, as we get older, we try to move it up. But if you're one of those ones and Satan's been holding you back, whether it's because you think you've done your part or you just feel like you can't be used by God or whatever, I want to encourage you today to cast down those lies. You're needed now more than ever, amen? Your wisdom, your experience, your love is needed right now. But not only those that have believed this lie or entertained the lie that, and, and, and believe in the lie that they are too old, but those that would think, well, I'm just too young. We, we see, of course, in this biblical example, uh, we see plenty of examples where God used older people, uh, man, way up in their age. But we see here an eight-year-old boy is anointed as king. And in fact, as we'll go through in just a moment and clarify, he was used by God in a powerful way. Eight years old. See, one of the biggest lies the enemy tells young people is you're only young once. You need to enjoy your life, live for yourself. And see, I tried that. I did it for 21 years, and that was the most miserable part of my life. I thank God for my story. I thank God for my testimony. But I spent 21 years believing the lie that I was only young once, that I needed to enjoy my life, live my life, and then one day, off in the distant future, I could choose then to just do what was right, and I always thought it was going to be this way. I'd get married and go to church. I didn't know anything about salvation. didn't know anything about the blood of Jesus. didn't know anything about the redeeming power of Jesus. I just thought I'd go to church, right? And I was planning on about age 40 is what I had in my mind, but thank God that on September 14th, God changed that, amen? But I always believe that lie, and young people that are here this morning, don't believe that lie. You're not too young. In fact, if you study history, and most theologians agree with this, theologians, is that even a word? Theologians agree with this, that most of the disciples, all 12 of them, were very young. Young. Teenagers, most of them, some of them. Lots of them were real young, and they were used by God in an unbelievable way. I know when I was a youth pastor and I got to pour into youth and, and do youth ministry all the time, full time, Man, I'm telling you, I saw God do things through those teenagers that were amazing. So you're not too young this morning, amen? And you're not too old. Josiah refused to let age be a barrier in his service to the Lord. Now I will say this, there may be some physical things you may not can do, but you can do a whole lot of spiritual things no matter what age you get, amen? Some of my favorite moments in ministry is picking up an envelope with a card in it from a senior adult lady most of the time who speaks words of encouragement and wisdom. And man, they would always come at the right moment when I may be discouraged, down, and that senior adult wrote out that card. I'll never forget one of them I'm thinking about right now, a lady that was in our church in First Baptist Allah. And I'm telling you, it was you could tell that her writing, it was just, I mean, it was hard to read because she was up in age. She was 87, I think it was, and she was not able to write very good, but she wrote that card out to me. I'd just done her husband's funeral to be... Uh, to remember correctly, and she encouraged me like crazy. Her husband was a deacon there for decades, and I'll never forget that. You're never too old, you're never too young. Amen? King Josiah did not let age be a barrier. Second of all, King Josiah made the Word of God priority. I don't know how much time passed between 
2 Kings chapter 22, verse 1, when we see he's anointed as king at the age of 8. But I know at 2 Kings 23 right here, we'll see one of the first things he does when he becomes king, he takes forth and elevates the word of God, doesn't he? Notice this, we read verse 1 and 2 again. It says the king sent, and it wasn't just something personally, although it is personal, we need to be in the word of God personally, but he made it a priority, he calls everybody, it says. It says the king went, are sent and they gathered to him all the elders of Judah, all the, all the leaders, in other words, and of Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him and the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which was found in the house of the Lord. So he's saying, in my opinion right here, strongly, my reign as king is going to be based on this right here, the Word of God. God's Word and God's Word alone. We know, as we'll just talk about in just a moment, that the kings before him were wicked. They did not lead by the Word of God. In fact, the Word of God was not a priority. In fact, if I would imagine it was filled with dust and not even touched because of all the wickedness that was going on in the kings that were reigning before Josiah, many of them, majority of them. But he, I believe with all my heart, as he steps on the scene to lead, he says God's word is going to be priority. Now I know today for all of us that's kind of, so to speak, the preaching of the, to the choir. But I'm telling you today, we need to hear it more than ever, don't we? Man, I'm, I'm a minister and I've been serving God through ministry in the last, man, maybe 20 years. And there's been times in my life where I forget this unbelievable truth right here. Where I will say with my mouth, man, I'm all about the Word of God. Man, my, my life's based on the Word of God. And there's times where I've been days without really getting into God's Word and let it be a priority in my life. I don't like admitting that today, but I bet you that you're probably the same way. There's times in your life, maybe even right now, where God's Word is not a priority. Social media, that's a priority though, right? Facebook and all the above. Man, catching up with the latest gossip, that's a priority, but getting into God's Word may not be that much of a priority. Am I right today? Is that not a struggle? The, the greatest thing aside with prayer that can change our life, coupled with the Holy Spirit speaking to our heart, and we set it aside all too often, don't we? And it's not a priority. It's not that important. Too sleepy, too tired, too busy. Got too many things to do. I love what David Jeremiah, you all know who David Jeremiah is, one of my favorite preachers or teachers. Man, he's an awesome teacher. In fact, right now he's going through this whole deal on uh, socialism and stuff like that. It's powerful. But I'll never forget, years ago I heard him say this. He said, you know, I used to tell myself I was too busy to read the Word of God. I was too busy to get up and pray. I was too busy to do this. I had too many things going on. And he said this, I realized I was too busy not to get into God's Word. Amen? And isn't that true? Man, everything we've got going on in life, whether it's parenting, our work, whatever it is, man, you're too busy to not slow down and get into God's Word because you desperately need God's Word in you. Amen? Now, I want to tell you what's sad today. I don't know if you've seen it or if you've had it here. I don't know. In fact, I don't know a whole lot about the history of this church, but I'm telling you right now, there are churches all across America today that will have services and this won't even hardly be a part of it. Some of them, they won't even be part of it. There's a guy, and I want to make sure the Holy Spirit gives me approval to say this. 
there's a there's a the guy, I'm not calling him a preacher because he's not a preacher. His name's Andy Stanley, he's Charles Stanley's son. Y'all know I, I spent the biggest part of my time in Southern Baptist churches. Don't hold that against me, amen. I never forget years ago, a buddy of mine, he's a Southern Baptist preacher, and he said he was witnessing somebody. They said, well, Man, I'm a, I'm a Southern Baptist. My mom was Presbyterian. My dad was Pentecost, blah, 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 and all that. He said, Well, all that means is you just need a good worming, amen. <laughs> Denomination is important. It can be important, but more important is that we know Jesus and we've been born again, amen. But this guy said this, and this was at a Southern Baptist conference style gathering. He got up there and told them, you know how they do, they tell some stories, and stories can be okay, but we have to have the meat of the word, amen? He tells his stories, does this, does that, and he did this literally. He got his Bible out, he read a verse of scripture, and he, and he said, that's for all y'all that think you've got to have scripture involved in a sermon. Is that not dumb, amen? But I'm telling you, that is a picture of where we are today in this generation we think we can go without God's Word. God's Word has got to be at the forefront of our heart, our mind, our church service, our lives, our home, everything, every relationship, every decision, whether it be business decision or spiritual decision. In fact, every decision is spiritual in some way or form. Amen? It's got to be prioritized. God's Word. We need it desperately. I love what Paul said. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, which is the Word of God. Amen? That it is the power of God unto salvation. How do we think we're going to go out and reach lost souls if we're not prioritizing the Word of God? How are we not, as the psalmist said, I've allowed God's Word to be a lamp unto my feet. I've hidden it in my heart that I may not sin against Him. How are we going to operate or do anything without God's Word being the priority of our life? Y'all know a little bit of my testimony. The first 21 years, as I mentioned earlier, was filled with drugs and garbage and filth and carnality and all the world. And when I was born again, I'm telling you, I never went to some 12-step program and I never went to some drug rehab. And I'm not against Christian-based drug rehab. Don't misread me there at all. I'm a part of many of them now. But I'm telling you, you know where I went to? I went to God's Word. I was working on a logging job then. I was running a D-limber and I'll never forget, man, I had a New Testament in this pocket and I had our daily bread in this pocket. I'm not lying to you. And then when Bible, Bible cases were still cool for men to be able to carry them, I had a camouflage Bible case, and I had my Bible there, and I'm telling you, it wasn't just for show. I needed it. I had to have it. It had to be priority in my life to overcome what I was battling. And I still need it today, amen? No matter what the sin is, we've got to prioritize God's Word. It's the only power with the Holy Spirit to be able to get us through and get us to be the men and women God's called us to be. So we see Josiah refused to let age be a barrier. He made God's word a priority. And then third of all this morning, he exposed and got rid of idolatry. He exposed and got rid of idolatry. Man, this is, this is something right here. I want you to read verse 4 through 7 with me, but, but I want to encourage you later on to, to go to verse 8 all the way to verse 20 and read how clear Josiah, the Bible, shows us how he was exposing and getting rid of idolatry. Verse 4 through verse 7 says this. Remember, he comes out with the Word of God. That's first, that's for, foremost. He brings out that foundation, if you will. And then in verse 4, it tells us after that takes place, it says, Then the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, and the priests of the second order and the doorkeepers to bring out, and this is just a side sermon. It just hit me right here. I love when I see King Josiah command Hilkiah to do this. 
Because I believe we need some men and women of God to stand up and start commanding some things. Amen? You want to know why the, the world is in the shape it's in right now? The, the United States is in the shape it's in right now? Because we've got too many of us who've been too silent not commanding forth truth. Amen? We've got too many politicians who call themselves Christians but won't command forth what needs to be commanded. It goes on though. He says, He commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priest of the second order and the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made for Baal, which is a false god, for Asherah, which is another false god, for all the host of heaven, and he burned them. Notice how serious it is. It says he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. They weren't even worthy to be thrown on that ground, in other words. Verse 5, he did away with the idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had appointed to burn incense in the high places in the cities of Judah and the surrounding area of Jerusalem. Also those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and to the moon and to the constellations and to all the hosts of heaven. Just want to mention a little horoscope there for you. Some of y'all that put your hope in reading horoscopes and garbage like that, that addresses that just briefly right there. Amen. We put our hope in Jesus and the finished work of the cross and His Word. We don't need a horoscope. Verse 6, he brought out the Asherah from the house of the Lord outside Jerusalem to the brook Kidron and burned it at the brook Kidron and ground it to dust. Are you listening to how serious he was in exposing idolatry but doing something about it? It says, and he threw its dust on the graves of the common people. He also broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes which were in the house of the Lord where the women were weaving hangings for the Asherah. And as I said, you go to verse 8 and keep going all the way to verse 20 and it's the same thing over and over where the Word of God shows us how serious Josiah was about cleaning house, in other words. Exposing all this idolatry and getting rid of it. And I might not remind you, everything you hear where it grounded to dust, they didn't have electricity, they didn't have hydraulic powered tools, they were doing this by hand. And they were probably calloused, bleeding if you will. But they were serious about cleaning house. Amen? And I ask you this morning, how serious are we about getting rid of the idols that are in our lives so that we might really truly allow Jesus to really be Lord and not just kind of second place or on down the line? They were serious. I love the passage of Scripture where Moses is on Mount Sinai. He's communion with God and he's receiving the Ten Commandments. So you remember Aaron and all the Israelites down below what was going on. They were taking the very gold that was meant for the tabernacle and Satan had brought them to the place of deception to where they actually took that gold that was intended for God's tabernacle and formed what? A golden calf. And when Moses gets down, if you remember, he addresses Aaron and says, what in the world's going on here? And of course Aaron lies to him and says it just came out of the fire or whatever. You remember that passage? But there's something particular about what happens. Moses takes that golden calf, remember, and grinds it to powder, to dust. And then he casts it into their own drinking water, if you will. And we all know what happens to water after we drink it. And I'm telling you, God wants us to be that serious that we would address our lives and find out what is in our life that we put before God, what is in our life or who is in our life that we put before God and get rid of it. I know one thing that has been recent in my life here in the last several months is God has been really clearly showing me 
that I love myself a whole lot. I've always known that and struggled with that. But I'm talking about I love myself a whole lot. In fact, often I become the idol of my life. Where I, I, I love myself more than I do Jesus. There again, I don't like admitting that, but that's just a painful reality of where we fall. And we see in this example today that God wants us to be serious about getting rid of idolatry. To put to death idolatry. There's some things that need to be ground to dust, and then there's some things like myself that just needs to be put back in its proper place. And that's under the Lordship of Christ. Amen? And no longer me being in charge. How about you this morning? Is the Lord exposing some idolatry in your life? You need to make certain that you deal with it biblically in the way God wants us to. Fourth of all this morning, I, I love this part right here. I, I, when I saw this, the Lord just, man, it was one of those moments when I was preparing and, and it was just like, man, I was kind of laughing out loud. Amen? Notice this. King Josiah also chose to be a statistic changer. Listen, verse 24 and verse 25. The scripture tells us this. And remember, I already said this a while ago about how wicked the kings before him. In fact, if you see all the idolatry that was there, that was there because of the kings before Josiah. That was there because the kings before him allowed that to happen. They were a part of it. They were wicked. Verse 24. It says, Moreover, Josiah removed the mediums. This is a little bit more of that cleaning of house. And the spiritus and the teraphim and the idols... Another lesson with all this idolatry, there's no room for tolerance. Amen? If it's not in the Word of God, we've got to be serious about getting rid of it. And who cares what anybody says? We don't have room for anything. But he says, and the teraphim, <clears throat> and the idols, and the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and Jerusalem, that he might confirm the words of the law, which were written in the book of Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Now listen to this right here, verse 25. Before him, there was no king like him. There was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might according to the, all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. The part I want you to see so clear is this. Before him, there was no king like him. In other words, statistically, all kings were wicked. They weren't like Josiah. Statistically, they reigned not according to the word of God. Statistically, idolatry was rampant in the house of God even. There was idols in the house of God. Statistically, all this was going on. And you know what happened? King Josiah said, listen, every king before me has come in, same thing. Went out, came in, same thing. Not me. I'm going to change the statistics of every king that is before me. Amen? And listen, I want you to know this today. Statistically, do you know that Christians, those that call themselves Christians today, we are the laughing stock all around us. Do you know that? And here, here's the sad part about it. There's a lot of folks out there that call themselves Christians that live in a way that brings that upon the church of the living God. There's a lot of folks out there that call themselves Christians that, that don't live according to the Word of God and the will of God. That's happening. In fact, and then we know our own struggles. Those of us that, that know that we know that we're children of God, but yet we still often don't live that way and there's no fruit, there's no, no stability there. And the world sees that and statistically they think, well, here's the same thing. 
There's so-and-so, he says he's saved, he's with Jesus, and it's going to go just like this. There's going to be a time period where he's just beating me over the head with it. Co-workers, family members, they see this, they say this. Statistically, that's what happens. And then they kind of fizzle out. Next thing you know, they're right back to where they were, living the same way they were. Well, guess what? You and I have got to do the same thing as Josiah did and make a choice that, hey, we're going to change the statistics that the world has put on the church of the living God. Now, does it matter what they say? No, it doesn't. But it does matter how they see us and what they see in us and how we live, right? It says they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. They'll know you're my children by your fruit. Man, we need to make certain that we are living in a way that we tell the world that we're not normal. They're not just like other Christians before us. And I know we've got men and women of God, forefathers that were, that were real and all that. I'm not questioning that, but we've got enough that it's tainted the name of Christianity. Amen? And we've got to show the world that we're going to be statistic changers. Divorce rate right now is higher in the church than it is outside of the church. Guess what? It's time to change that statistic. Suicide is just as high in the church. And, and just to tell you this, I, I don't put a whole lot of stock in, in statistics, uh, depending on who gives those, polling and all that. Man, we know that often they're, they're misleading. That there are some truths to it too, isn't it? Do you know that right now that the sin of homosexuality is just as rampant in the church of the living God as it is outside in the world? That it's even in pulpits now? We know this. You've heard this. There's denominations ordaining them. We've got to change those statistics. Amen? Josiah, he said, look, every king, wicked, 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 wicked. Not me, though. I'm going to change that statistic that the world can see a real king that's doing God's kingdom work. And we've got to take on that same heart determination when it comes to us individually and as a body of believers. And then last of all this morning, I want you to see that King Josiah also, he was a covenant man, wasn't he? You go back to verse 3, I love this part here where they've prioritized the word of God. Everybody's involved, the entire community, everybody's there. He reads the word of God, and the very next thing he does is he makes a decision. He enters into a covenant. The king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord. I don't have time to preach on all these different steps here, but to walk after the Lord, to keep His commandments, His testimonies, and His statutes with all His heart and all His soul to carry out the words of this covenant that were written in this book. There's two things important here. I want you to see, number one, this was public. This was public. The king stood, number one, before the Lord, but in front of everybody, and made this covenant. In other words, I'm just challenging you, encouraging you with this, that your faith is to be public. Man, I had somebody one time, they wanted to talk to me. We were talking about something. There was some sin in their life they was wanting to justify and try to twist it in Scripture. And, and this is what he said to me. He said, can, can we just put our Christianity... Uh, for a side a moment I'm like no I can't I can't put it aside that's who I am uh, I'm a child of God I can't divide Christianity and grit amen I can't put that to the side man God's called us to live publicly our faith God's called us to publicly be in covenant with him and publicly announce that we're his child and we live for him the king realized that and he did that in front of everybody once again given the clear Example that his reign was going to be about this covenant with the Lord. Amen? But I believe also there's another important truth about it. It was very sincere. 
It says that his statute, he keep his statutes with all his heart and all his soul. And you remember verse 25 just a moment ago, it says, Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to the law of Moses. In other words, it was real. How many of y'all, just even with yourself, I'm sick to death of announcing to God, hey God, I love you, I'm going to live for you. God, I'm not going to give in to temptation anymore. God, I'm going to be so on fire for you. God, I'm going to be who you want me to be. And you know that by the next morning or by the time you leave the church, that kind of fizzles out. When, not this, this was very sincere. It says with all his soul, with all his might, with all his strength, with everything, it was sincere, it was real. And we need some real, true covenants taking place, amen? And then in closing this morning, I love the last part of verse 3, it says, and all the people entered into the covenant. All the people entered into the covenant. Do you think Josiah had an influence? Do you think Josiah used that influence? And do you think people looked and they saw something different? They saw something fresh? They saw something vibrant? They saw something that was real? And they all entered into that covenant. And I don't believe it was just some religious experience and some emotional thing that was going on. I believe that it was something where God broke out in revival. There's a king that comes on the throne who is pointing to Jesus, prioritizing the word of God, setting the standard where it's supposed to be, and all the people jumped on board and entered into that covenant. And so, man, I challenge you this morning. I don't know anybody's heart here today other than my own. And according to Scripture, I don't know it very good because the Bible says our heart's wicked and deceitful. Who can know it? Amen? But I know today I love Jesus. I know today I want to live for Him. I know today I'm, I'm tired of playing games and, 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 you know, saying it with my mouth but not backing it up to the place where I really truly follow hard after Him with everything I've got. And so ask yourself this morning, where, where are you? Do you truly know Him today? I'm not asking today, once again, if you've been baptized, if you're a member of this church, those things are very important. But more important than anything, have you ever truly been born again? Remember what Jesus told Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you must be born again. He told all the other religious leaders, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. He didn't mention anything about baptism or, or church membership. As I said, that's very important. But more important is you've got to be born again. You've got to truly be saved. Have you ever come to the place in your life where you really, truly have laid your life down before the Lord? You've given Him full control. You, you've acknowledged that you are a sinner, that you are truly separated from God and you deserve hell. But God in His great love for us prepared a way through His Son, Jesus Christ, who came here, who knew no sin and became sin on our behalf, who died in our place, paid the sin debt for us. Have you ever acknowledged that truth and put your faith in it? Not just acknowledging it in a sense where I, I've seen it, I've heard it, okay, I've got that knowledge. No, I'm talking about really, truly put your faith in it. You'll hear this statement come out of my mouth a lot of times, putting our faith in the finished work of the cross, where that's the redeeming work of the Lord, where His Son, who was born of a virgin, never sinned, chose to go to the cross and take on Himself the wrath of God that God would pour out on our sin, the sin of man. Jesus took it on Himself receiving that punishment so that you and I wouldn't have to receive that punishment. And thank God that three days later, after he took that punishment on, tasted death, he was raised again and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Amen? And that's what I mean when I say put your faith in the finished work of the cross. Have you done that? What are you trusting in? Who are you trusting in to get you into heaven?
If it's not Jesus, His true atoning work, then you're not going. I can't lie to you. I've got to tell you to, according to the Word of God. Amen? If you've never been born again, you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, and it's in anything else or anybody else, then you are not going to heaven unless you change that. And then the second part again today is this. For those of you that would say, I do know that, Brother Greg, I know. I know I'm saved. I know that, man, I'm going to heaven because of Jesus. I'm His child. But how are you living for Him today, right? How many of us need today to either be at this altar, going to someone, kneeling down right there, to you, whatever God tells you or moves you to do, that how many of us need to do that today and just say, God, clean house? Just like Josiah did with all the leaders and ground those idols to dust. God, would you clean house in my life that I might be able to serve you faithfully again and rightfully?